everyone. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Top Gun Maverick, and joining me, she would never play sports on the beach in jeans. It's Maya. Maya, how's it going? Maya's great. Maya's excited to talk about this movie, just like the whole of America is talking about this movie right now. Yeah, it's really exciting, and uh, I'm glad that Maya reached out about this because she's obviously, uh, you know, a very reliable guest for the Marvel stuff, but we like having her join for other stuff when we have a good one for her to join for, and uh, she suggested this, and surprisingly, given how this, like, honestly, like, one of the biggest movies of the year so far, like, honestly, no one else had reached out to it before you before before you had, so I was like, more than happy to talk to Maya about it because I think she has a pretty unique perspective on this movie, in which I'll, I'll get to in a second, and every again, everyone and their mom and their dad are seeing this movie, so I don't need to do the big same plot summary I normally do. Plus our, our, our friend Daniel said I should, I should kind of, you know, be more concise with those. So I'm going to be pretty quick here and just say that, you know, this is a sequel to 1986's Top Gun, the iconic movie starring Tom Cruise. And he got together with the powers that be at Paramount and his old friend, Joseph Kaczynski, who directed Top Gun Maverick and said, I, Hey, I'll do another one of these. And it picks up, you know, three decades after the events of that first film and his uh, his Captain Pete Mitchell, aka Maverick, is is basically still in the same job he was in 30 years ago because he just doesn't want to get promoted to a position where he might not fly. And he pushes these privi- the, the flying privileges he does have to the limit, both literally and figuratively, in the first 10 minutes of the movie when he flies a very new, sleek, modern Navy jet to reach Mach 10 such that they'll keep this program open and keep more people employed because he's a man of the people. And uh, except he, like, you know, does go Mach 10, but then crashes this uber expensive plane and, uh, you know, walks into a diner and, you know, finds out he's still on planet Earth. But he doesn't get in as much trouble as you would think. It echoes the first movie when he gets sent to the Top Gun Academy. Here he actually gets sent to the Top Gun Academy because there is a big secret mission that needs a needs him to filter out the, the recent Top Gun graduates to figure out who could pull off this, quote, impossible mission. And he uh, and he's, he's, he kind of gets this assignment because, you know, uh, Iceman, who we all love from the first film, is, uh, you know, now in a more admirable, admiral senior type position and kind of looks out for him and bails him out when need be. And, you know, that's basically what this movie is, as we see, you know, uh, Maverick try and train these new guys uh, for this mission. It, it is honestly brilliant in its simplicity. Uh, Maya, when I mentioned how you came at this from a unique perspective, uh, a few weeks ago when you reached out about this, you said, I just watched the first Top Gun for the first time. How about we, uh, or I'm about to watch the first Top Gun for the first time. I don't remember if you'd watched it at that point, but you'd said, I've, I've never watched, I'm coming at this fresh, want to do the podcast. And I thought, wow, that's interesting because, you know, a big draw of this movie is nostalgia. Uh, a lot of people love the 80s version of this movie and, you know, probably cried as soon as they heard the first music cue or cried the first time they saw Tom Cruise on a bike, cried at the first flashback of Goose. Any number of things are going to just elicit tears from people that, have a very long relationship with these characters. And I think, you know, part of what's impressive about this movie, which, I mean, look, if you just look at the reviews, it's like, you know, in some ways, in some by some measurements, however much stock you want to put in such things, maybe objectively better than the first movie. And, uh, and, and just just by certain standards and by the power, the people that just talk about these things. And I'm wondering, you know, and I think part of what makes it such a strong movie is, you know, it does hit a lot of emotional beats really, really well, um, as the first one does at some points, and it's drawing on that. But I'm wondering, because I think a lot of what people are responding to in this movie are like, they have these long relationships with these characters. And, you know, people of our parents' generation, you know, they watch this movie in their 20s and just have lived the majority of their lives with these characters rewatching this movie. Uh, some other people that are closer to our age might have watched this earlier, whereas you watched it like two weeks before you saw the new movie. So I'm wondering, as someone that did not have such a long relationship with these characters, what did you think about Top Gun, the 1986 movie? And in light of the fact that you don't have such a, you didn't have such a long relationship with these people, did you still find yourself really emotionally moved by Top Gun Maverick in spite of that? So 
absolutely. How can you not? And, and it's, it's so upsetting to me because I've wasted so many years not knowing about Top Gun. Like I knew about it, of course. Everybody knows the big plot spoiler. I mean, if I'm saying spoiler alert, you know, guys, I'm coming a couple of years a, a little uh, late on this, but in the first movie, the thing that you know is that Goose dies. That's, that's like the thing that you know about this movie. But I'll tell you, I saw the beginning sequences, I saw the end, I never knew how Goose died, I just knew that it happened, you know? Okay. And it's like one of those movies that it was always on ABC Family, and they always had commercials for it, and you had to like, you know, pick and choose your times. I wasn't going to schedule watching Top Gun as a child, so you know, this was not something I ever really saw. I think I um, learned about Goose dying from... Uh from Meet the Parents, if you remember. Really? Meet the Parents, when they, they have like the nicknames and they just make Ben Stiller's character Goose and he's like, but Goose You're dies, right. yeah. You're yeah. right, oh man, I know. I definitely saw Meet the Parents before I saw Top Gun for the first time. But the thing is like, these are like references in movies that I've seen, I mean, I've seen Meet the Parents so many times. I never really like, it never registered with me. It's like, oh yeah, that's a thing that happens. But now like, I'll feel solemnness every single time I watch this movie because he died in such a tragic way. And I'm so sorry to be so overdramatic about it because I had such a, a very powerful reaction watching Top Gun for the first time. It was so good. <laughs> and, and I feel like the people on this podcast are gonna be like this idiot. <laughs> How is know, a she lot of people, A lot of people feel the same way. A lot of people feel the same way. I mean, this movie's been around longer than I've been alive. <laughs> I watched it for the first time two weeks ago. But like, this is par for the course for me. You know, there's a lot of pop culture things I'm very in on. And I, if anything, I'm reading, um, you know, about the making of the movies or the TV shows before they come out. But there are certain cultural phenomenon that I just, they've escaped me over the years. So based off of your question, you know, did you have a powerful reaction? Very clearly, I did. <laughs> Well, sure, but you also kind of nodded fairly enthusiastically when I knew that people were saying Top Gun Maverick might actually be an objectively better movie. If I don't know if you agree, have, have a strong take on that one way or the other, I won't force you to have one. But uh, if if so, like why did that? Why did the new one work so well for you then? Yeah, and, and I'll tell you that it, a lot of it has to do with the limitations of the technology at the time. Um, there's, and you know what, just to put into perspective, my, my dad works in aviation, so I grew up going to hangars, going to air shows, it was always something that was like a really, really cool thing. Again, it evades me as to why I've never seen a movie that's all about airplanes, right? Um, had you, had you, has your dad seen it before? Did you talk to him about it? Of course he has. Okay. He's embarrassed by me that this is oh. the first time I saw it. <laughs> Not really. He loves me. If he listens yeah, to this, hello. <laughs> um, but but it's, it's interesting to me because when I, the first movie, it was just fun. You, you get why people love it. It's just, it's a very, um, 80s film. It is a quintessential 80s film and you feel nostalgic watching it, even though you weren't around to experience it, not to age myself. Um, but Maverick, the and, and to put into perspective, by the way, I saw this movie nine days after it came out. So this is the angle that I'm seeing it from. I go to the IMAX theater in Fort Lauderdale, which is a, a massive, massive IMAX. And I, I try and see all the big films there. Um, but about 10 minutes before showtime, we pretty much arrive, and it's so packed there that we have to sit in the first row. So that just proves the the pool, the pull that this movie has for, for people. I mean, it's really getting people back into the theaters. But watching it is a completely, I mean, you're engulfed 
in the experience, just the the way that and the creativity behind the the filming of this movie. I, I mean, I completely understand why they waited three years to release it. Honestly, I do because I feel like I would have had a completely different perspective. And you know me, I love watching movies at home. It's not the same. I will. I feel like they need to be re-releasing this movie over and over again and keeping it on like a steady replay at these bigger theaters. It's just, it was that great of an experience. Well, yeah. So Tom Cruise does come on before the movie even starts and thanks you for coming. Uh, you know, he's a producer on the movie. He wanted, he wanted this. They filmed this thing in like 2018 and 2019, basically. And with the planned 2020 release, like, Miles Teller and Glenn Powell were kind of on the promotional trail at the time the pandemic started because I think the original release date was like April or May of 2020. Uh, it was and, April of 2020. Right. Yeah. So that just shows you like how disciplined they were in sitting on this thing instead of trying to cash in for a quick buck or something like that. They knew that the theatrical experience was like very important for this. And I'm I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you got that. You got you into a real IMAX. I went to Dolby. I think that's part of it. And I mean. I, I'm, I'm going to press you more on like uh, the specifics, but I think it seems like yeah. the number one thing you might've responded to was just like that experience and these, the, the technological advancements they made and then being able to just like have your face melted by being in a, being in a theater for it. And I, and I, I'm similar to you. Uh, you were just being COVID conscious and ironically enough, ended up sitting in a really crowded theater anyway. You just, so you kind of <laughs> like waited nine days. I mean, it worked out well because you're, you're recording closer to when you viewed it. But like, if you're going to go something that crowded, you may as well have just like gone on the opening Friday anyway. I might uh, as well have, honestly, right, because yeah, people yeah. probably were going to think, geez, it's packed. It's opening weekend. Let's go the next weekend. So maybe I'm just not that bright after all. Well, no, I think it's just the movie's that popular and you went to, a, and you, you went at like, if I'd gone at seven o'clock, I would have had the same thing. Cause I think you texted me about your viewing experience. Like I, that text was waiting for me when I got out of my viewings. I went to like a, I went to like a nine 30 showing. So I think you went to like a seven or something like that or a seven 30 and it's just that, and it was a Sunday night. So Sunday is just going to, you know, like people, it's a work night. People aren't, not as many people are going to go to a later showing. I got back in town from a trip to uh, both the rural Georgia and Atlanta uh, the opening weekend, I was in rural Georgia at a, at a kind of a retreat type thing I talked to you about. So you're not going to see it in the middle of the woods. And then I got, I get to Atlanta for a trip. The, after that, the friend I'm staying with, uh, had already seen it that weekend. Uh, so wow. I, I wasn't going to go see it with him. And then the second half of the week, I stayed with a different friend who, uh, wasn't as gung ho on seeing it, but also there wasn't really an IMAX around me besides a Regal and the, the Uber to that Regal and back to my friend's place and the $25 ticket would have been like over 70 bucks. And I pay $23 a month for AMC a list. I mean, you know, like, I mean, that's two Ubers plus an IMAX ticket. So it's like, I, that would have been three times the amount I spend on uh, movie tickets in a month. Whereas like, if I had gone home, I live across the street from an AMC and I can get an IMAX ticket with my subscription. So I was just like, all right, I, I may as well wait at this point until Sunday, as much as that killed me, because I'm usually seeing stuff like opening weekend or the first week. And now I have to see everyone talk about how awesome it is. So needless to say, my expectations were pretty damn high because every time I saw someone tweet about it or put something on Facebook, it was about how awesome it was. So it's, it's, you're, you always get a little worried if your expectations are going to get that built up for something that like maybe something, maybe it might get you let down a little bit. That happens to me every now and then. And, I don't have uh, social media. I don't have that problem. I just saw the 90 something percent of Rotten Tomatoes. I'm like, oh, I guess people think this movie is really good. Right. Well, I'm addicted to Twitter. Not everyone can be as disciplined as you. And I still, and it still lived up to the hype for me. That's why I liked it that much. And I'll say, 
I think the biggest reason I liked it, maybe even more so than the technological stuff, because like the 86 movie was still pretty good for its time with all that. I think there's certain things they can do with where they place cameras on these plans because it's all practical effects, which is like very, very impressive for the most part. Um, very little CGI in these movies. And I don't think anyone can even tell where there is. And that was what the director has said was kind of their goal. So it's really impressive what they do with all that. And like, there are certain things where it's like, oh yeah, I don't know if they had, they had that camera angle in the eighties. I think the thing that I really kind of appreciated about it is oftentimes when you go to see action movies these days, um, it, this is a very convoluted plot and our beloved Marvel movies are not immune to this problem every now and then, uh, you know, sometimes it, there's just a ton going on in this movie. They introduce a mission, like in the first 20 minutes, they spend like, you know, the next hour or so, like practicing for that mission and talking about that mission. And it's not that hard of a mission to understand. And then, you know, the next, the last, last half hour, 45 minutes of the movie, they try and execute that mission. And I think just the simplicity of that. And a lot of people have been talking about this movie in relation to the mission impossible movies. I don't know if you're a fan of those Maya, but I've never uh, seen them. I've, I've wow. seen one. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, then that, if, if you're looking for some kind of at home movie project in the next uh, 12 months, cause you know, you saw a preview for mission impossible eight or whatever it is that's coming next summer uh seven or eight i think it might be maybe seven. maybe we should do like a like a lead up to it of all the mission impossible movies i need my i need my work schedule to calm down but i'm not i'm not necessarily opposed though that's a big enough project that that would uh that, that might be a that that might be something where it's like a you know uh like when i did with the bond where i had third person in for some of them but like yeah uh keep, we'll talk but basically yeah. like mission impossible i mean even better action than Top Gun. Like it is the standard bearer right now for action movies with the things they can pull off, the things that, I mean, Tom Cruise is going to die on the set of one of those movies. Everyone just kind of accepts it now. He's going to give his body to cinema. He's going to give his body to us. Um, that, that That's just it. But like the Mission Impossible, incredible action, best, best out there right now. But every single movie there's like why the hell are they in croatia right now wait why did they have to go to croatia for like two scenes it's like it's 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 very very a lot of moments like that where it's just very convoluted plot here it's like so easy to follow that i think what's so impressive about top gun maverick is because of that it allows you to like it allows a lot more space for like a lot of different emotional beats that you do not get in the mission impossible movies and i i love tom cruise i i particularly love his performances in magnolia and jerry Maguire, which were uh his last two oscar nominations has not not nominated for an oscar since 1999 um vanilla sky is a favorite of mine also yeah i actually have not seen that one which is funny um oh it's it's incredible but basically though it's like uh he stopped acting in those ways some time ago. You know, the Mission Impossible movies are fun watching him be a kick-ass robot, but he doesn't show much emotion. And what's cool about this movie is that it left room for that. And I think it leaves room for that because it's not wasting so much breath trying to explain some kind of plot to you. I mean, you can talk about too whether or not like you care that this movie like plays it safe politically and doesn't name who the enemy is. But regardless, I think a benefit of that is you don't really spend three, four or five scenes talking about geopolitical implications. You just know what the mission is. And you get to like see this this guy like deal with a bunch of different emotional things, and I think that makes it satisfying that you have a lot of emotional moments with a uh, with some like you know still kick ass action that melts your face off. What did you? How did you feel watching Maverick in this movie? Because I mean, uh, again, very charismatic performance in the 1986 movie, but he's like in every scene in this movie. There's a lot of other characters out there. I'm wondering what you thought about like just specifically this story and how satisfied you were by the arc they gave him, and if you felt like fulfilled by this story, which yeah, it's called Top Gun Maverick. But like, I think there was actually more Maverick than I was expecting. So I'll, I'll tell you what's interesting about this. Um, the, the last podcast I was on with you, uh, Daniel was talking about how he hates the formula of the Marvel movies. And the best part about Top Gun Maverick is it owned the formula. It decided, you know what? We're just going to make the same movie again. 
Why wouldn't you just want to make the same exact movie? Just one thing, we gotta kill somebody, but it can't be Rooster this time, all right? It can't be Goose, it can't be a relative of Goose, even though they did kill off Meg Ryan, this did happen, awesome. but uh, that was off screen. <laughs> but in any case, they basically just said, yeah, let's just, let's just do the same movie twice. And, and I'm so happy that they did because what, it basically was watching like a back-to-back -back, like second version of the first movie and with like very minor details that have changed. I loved it. I, I think that there's very few things that um, you can do in order to, um, to make a movie correct. Essentially, they just did everything right. There was no faults in this movie whatsoever. And I'll tell you, some of the, the interesting things that I liked about it are the things that are just, they're not, you know, relevant to the plot line whatsoever. I love Dogfight that. football? Oh, I mean, <laughs> you, you don't have to tell me twice that I, I can uh, love watching Miles Teller and uh, Glenn Powell just on there. Um, but I'll, t I'll tell you uh, just a quick fact about that. Um, apparently, uh, they filmed it, and then a week later, they were all working their asses off to get themselves in shape. They knew the date that it was going to be on. That's what I saw. Yeah. Well, you, oh, you, you knew this? I, I saw someone reference an article that detailed that, like, they had the date circled on their calendars, so they were trying to, you know, get cut for that date. But wait, there's more. So yes, oh. they did have the, cir the circle date on the calendars. They all knew that it was going to be the most memeable thing. And then Tom Cruise said, I don't like it. I want to do it again a week later. So mm -hmm. they all had cheated on their diets at that point because they're like, well, we're done. And then they had to all go back in the gym. So apparently there was like a pissing contest between all the guys to see who can get in the best shape, which is crazy because like in these, these group of men, like first you have the guy from Whiplash who... I'm shocked that he looks like that, right? Miles well, Teller. He, since Whiplash, he did. He's done a boxing movie, so he's had to like you know. But he's like he's like a funny guy. This it was impressive. I was very impressed. Um, and then you've got um, you got Glenn Powell, who I'm a very big fan of Scream Queens. I know that it had like a short-lived uh, life, but I loved it, and he was fantastic. He's great in everything he does. You have Jason Mendoza from The Good Place. And then on top what, of was, was, did, did he get some screen time in the dogfight football thing? I mean, I was going to talk no, about Manny just in terms of he was barely okay, there okay. in the movie, but I recognize right, so him. I I, that's a problem I have with the movie, but we'll get to that. Um, you just got, like, there's a bunch of little actors from things that I've seen, and I'm going to point them out because they deserve to okay, be okay. noticed. They were there for two seconds. All right, let's, we'll, 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 let, me, let me save that for a, 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 a little bit down the road. I want to back you up for a second. Oh, okay. you, mentioned, you mentioned the Val Kilmer thing, and I, I'll, I'll just go there now. Um, cause I, you know, one of the questions I had asking for you and I, I'd almost like, I wanted to talk about the Val Kilmer thing. I don't almost didn't really even think about him dying. Cause like the scene where they actually share the screen, like just sticks out so much more in my mind that I had a bullet point on here that was like, did you think someone should have died? <laughs> cause I was thinking more in terms of, I mean, because you mentioned the formula, and I, I mean, I think that there's some truth in what you said, and that it does somewhat follow the formula. I think it's a little different in that, like, again, that mission is, like, more present throughout. And I like the way they talk about the mission. Again, it's a, it, it, yes, overall, it is the same formula, but I think, like, that mission just kind of gets, like, a little thrown in at the end of the first Top Gun, where it's like, we got to, like, you know, provide cover for a rescue mission or something, but you don't really even see the rescue mission. You just know that Maverick gets a kill. Uh, here, like, this m mission is, like, laid out in detail for you from, like, the from like the opening sequence almost such that like we're really familiar with it by the end by the time uh maverick does it for everyone in the two minutes and 15 seconds and whatnot such that we're even like wow that he's doing it in that much because we've had two minutes and 30 seconds drilled into our head so that's different from it but like i was like man 
did we need someone to die to like up the stakes? Because uh, you, you you watch. Wait, you, let me just ask you. Tell you where I'm going with this. You, like, did you you were you a Game of Thrones watcher? Yes, of course. So, like, I, I thought the last season of Game of Thrones had a problem where it just kept almost killing someone and then it brought him back from the dead. I felt like it did that like six times, and I was just like, I'm not I'm not someone that's always like you have to kill someone for stakes. I don't say that. Like a lot of people gave uh, Captain America Civil War like a ton of shit. Or was it Ultron? Which one was the one where Rhodey got almost got paralyzed? Um, oh, uh, I think it was um, Captain America: Winter Soldier. Maybe not. Uh, regardless, I think it was Civil War actually, where he gets yeah. he gets shot down or something, and it's like a lot of people thought he should have died. And I was like, I don't know if he should have died. That movie had plenty Civil of stakes. War? Regardless, I don't remember. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it was Civil War because they thought someone should have died in Civil War, um, right? And, and and no one did, and they thought it should have just been Rhodey at that point. And I was like, whatever. Like the movie was still incredibly powerful with that last scene. I'm not always for killing people off, but it felt like there were so different. many close calls in this movie that like I was like, okay, someone should probably die at some point. This is getting a little ridiculous. We have this many people like almost dying in planes and no one dies, but like. But this is a little different, Josh. Like, he's got throat cancer, and, like, they had to AI his voice in order for him to even be able to talk on there. Like, it wasn't his actual voice. They dubbed oh. him. Well, no, no. I'm not criticizing the, the Val Kimmel part of it. I'm just saying, like, I, I that that was a separate... I was talking in relation to what you said about the formula. And I was like, well, yeah, someone oh, else I died. Uh, but, like, should someone have died in a plane? And, because, uh, like, one, if they kill someone in a plane, then it actually feels like it's repeating the first one too much. But I kept rolling my eyes a little bit where I was like, okay, this one guy passes out in a plane. He wakes up. These other people, like, you know, they, they, they survive because they have to eject. Like, Tom Cruise survives when he, or Maverick well, survives. You think that they're going to kill Maverick and then he's alive the entire time. Okay. Well, that's we, the whole point. It's like, that's the big part of the first movie that they, like, they still had to do that service in some way, shape, or form because, like, Maverick isn't Maverick without, you know, rising from the ashes of his despair. Um, but at the same time, like, it, did, you buy I, for, did you buy for a minute that he was dead? No. Um, okay. <laughs> but, but at the same time, I, I actually felt that that was done in particular to honor Val Kilmer, that entire scene. I think that if it wasn't for his condition, they probably wouldn't have included any of that. But I think they did it because obviously oh. like his career, like this is one of the, the crowning achievements of his film career. And if he had, if he had the ability to be part of it in some way, shape or form, like this is a way to honor him. And like, that's a way to just basically like, you know, put the great actor that he was in his past to rest. That that's for me. That's what that meant. Oh, yeah, yeah. He'd still be in the movie if it, if if he uh, didn't have throat cancer. But that was the way they had to write it, and that was the respectful way to kind of deal with his current condition. Where yes, he has throat exactly. cancer, and due to due to the procedures he's had, uh, whatever voice he has left is incredibly raspy. So they had to kind of AI his voice into this um, to like even like you know make and it he was incredible. I wouldn't be shocked if he gets an Oscar, by the way. Do not be shocked if Val Kilmer gets an Oscar. Do not. I, there's very little precedent for someone with that few minutes of screen time getting it. I wouldn't get. I wouldn't be upset I don't by think it. It's going to be necessarily an acting Oscar, but maybe they're going to do an honorary Oscar for him or something like that because it's it's been his year. They had the documentary that came out about him. This, I mean, there there's been a lot of Val Kilmer in the world, and let's be realistic, we kind of missed a lot of Val Kilmer in the world. He's always been fantastic. Sure. So I, I thought that scene was incredible. It's great that a movie that's like, you know, as as fun and popcorny and, um, you know, silly as this can it can also uh, include a moment like that. I was very impressed by it. It was again, like I like seeing Tom Cruise act in a way he doesn't often seem to do anymore because he just likes jumping off of planes and shit. 
and uh, not really actually showing real emotion. So it was cool to get to see him go to that place. And I thought Val Kilmer was really good. And I just, it was, it was such a tender moment. And I thought the movie handled that like incredibly well. So I guess, I, I don't know. Well, I'll jump. How about we just talk about the end then, and then I'll work my way backwards. Cause we already kind of talked about it a little bit. Do you think it's an objectively better movie if Maverick ends up dying or did you get enough out of those last half hour with him and Rooster, you know, having to, you know, MacGyver their way to the back to the to carrier that you thought it actually worked. Cause like I'm of two minds on it. One, it's like, Oh, this would actually really be poetic if he died. But like, I did have a lot of fun in that final sequence. So I can't really fault them for like wanting to go there. The poetry wasn't in him dying. The poetry was in, in him repairing. Basically, the focus of the movie is the fact that he hasn't been able to get over Goose's death. Like, it's been, you know, 30-something years, and he still hasn't gotten over it, right? Mm -hmm. That, to me, that's the theme of the movie. That's why it's Top Gun Maverick. It's because they're the... In, in spite of all the flashiness of the 80s nostalgia and bringing back a lot of these elements from the first movie, that's not what this movie is about. This movie is about, you know, him still not getting over what happened and him blaming himself. And this was his redemption arc, honestly. I'm fine if they never make another movie. They might make a couple of sequels. I highly, you know, think that that's, um, that, that's a mistake because this some movies don't deserve a sequel. This movie didn't necessarily deserve a sequel, but they earned their right to it. The story arguably was made better in the first movie by the second movie. Same with like Godfather. Godfather 2 is better than Godfather 1. Maverick is better than Top Gun because Maverick makes Top Gun better. That It's simple as that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, they, they, they made enough money that you shouldn't be shocked to have another sequel. I agree with you. They don't need it. Uh, though again, like it, I mean, what do you, actually what do you mean by Maverick makes Top Gun better? The Maverick, the the movie that you know we just saw, right? Yeah, yeah. The whole focus and the whole um, I'm gonna say the um, the thing that really gets you um, about the writing of this movie, and I, like I said, I think that this movie is going to kill it in the Oscars. I actually think the one Oscar that they're definitely not going to win is the best song, which is ironic because in the first movie that's what they're known for. It's Take My Breath Away. Um, I am upset that I didn't get any of that in this movie, by the way, just as a yeah, side note. But anyway, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the Lady Gaga song really is going to stick with it. It wasn't great. The same way. Yeah. But but I do think that they are going to be getting Oscars. All, all the tech writing. stuff for sure. I'm sorry. I think they're going to get a lot of below the line stuff. Like again, I'm not going to be mad if it gets any above the line stuff. Like you know, the writing, the acting, the directing, the all that. Incredible. But like the movies like this, movies like this, don't, movies like this almost never get writing nominations. Like action movies just don't get recognized. Like I that. agree I would, with you. I think that this one, if, if it doesn't get it, it deserves it. And you know what? I I there's certain movies that kind of stick with you. The way that they they cultivated the plot, like I don't know, maybe I'm looking into it too much. Probably not because it's very clearly crafted this way. Um, that the fact of the matter is that with his dynamic with Rooster, um, it's a lot deeper than the movies. He pulls his application from the Navy, sets back his career. He has a, a you know years-long grudge against somebody who is essentially a father figure to him because his father died and he was with this guy. That's a bond that you can't break for, for you know, anything. Um, and he's just trying to look out for him, you know, by proxy, by way of his mother, because that was his mother's dying wish, right? So, so at the point where, um, you know, Maverick seemingly dies, and Rooster's instinct is to go back for him exactly the same way that Goose did, because he's his wingman, and that's what wingmen do. 
And he says, you told me not to think. And, and basically that mm-hmm. culminates what this has been working towards. That at the end of the day, you can't break this sort of a bond that they have. They have a familial bond. He's like the father that wasn't there. And he's like the son that he never had. So it, which in a way is a better dynamic for them to have. And if anything, Goose's death brought together a very, you know, unique relationship in like, um, and, and, you know, an alternate parent, which is something like, you know, non-traditional parents are a very, very, um, you know, underrepresented topic. And I think that in a way this, this sort of, um, you know, accomplishes highlighting the importance and the love that's there. Um, and I, like I said, I know that I'm going a little bit deep into it this, but I felt like very compelled by the fact that he went out, he went back for him. He said, this is what you told me. You told me not to think my dad would have done the same thing. I mean, and and even in in the uh, in the plane where he says, um, you know, he keeps saying, "Talk to me, Goose. Talk to me, Goose." The entirety of the movie, and then Miles does. I mean, sorry, Rooster does the same thing when he's he in says, the "Talk to me, Dad." Right? He says, "Talk to me, Dad." Come on, I I mean, like something like that. The little nuances that maybe the action fans aren't going to notice, but the people like me who actually like crave plot and they crave, you know meaning in in the movie this movie had so much meaning and it was just so beautifully written and like i said i know it's an action movie that's a sequel from an 80s film but it's more than that i'm telling you it's more than that yeah i mean not not impossible for action movies to get nominated or even superhero movies you know like i mean I we I, we didn't really like Joker or no you didn't do the Joker podcast with me but like uh, Joker got nominated Logan got nominated Mad Max Fury Road I think had a screenplay nomination too uh, you know so it can, it it can it can happen actually no screenplay was like the one thing it didn't get but that movie's all action but yeah uh, I. I, I I agree in that like it was certainly poetic how he came back because it's kind of implied that like you know Rooster might fly a little more conservatively than a lot of these other pilots uh, because maybe because of what happened to his dad um, but like in, he's still like good enough to be at Top Gun even in spite of that so that shows you like the the kind of pilot he is and then something finally like kind of drives him to that point so it's kind of cool that like you know he's able to like overcome it in that moment and they're and that maverick doesn't die when he makes a sacrifice like you know they kind of earn it with like what they what they still do with rooster at the end um and i think it's i i think that's all like you know very very impressive and it's it's really fun like i mean it's kind of cool that in a moment like that they have the comic relief of like you know you told me not to think like that's a very funny line in the midst of something that's like otherwise like incredibly serious and then all they're just mother effing the the f14 they have to steal to like get up and that's really funny they keep talking about how old it is and like it's it's kind of funny how like so much of that last act is actually comedy i mean i guess at that point like maybe i don't know if you really should expect anyone to die at that point when they haven't already killed maverick after that but like you know it's still suspenseful and it's funny like watching him fake fake the signs with the enemy or whatever and uh you know and uh i don't know i should have predicted the hangman thing coming i didn't predict it predict it maybe you did i don't know but like it was very satisfying definitely he, he was, I mean, they, they were priming him to, to be there to save the day. But, you know, at the end of the day, everyone gets a redemption. Um, you know, even Hangman, when, you know, his call sign, he's known for basically leaving people, you know, hanging behind, right? You get to choose um, your own call sign, kind of. You got to, like, you know, you got to kind of got to, like, sign off on it. So it's weird that he, like, signed off on that. I, I, I'm not making that point originally. I heard it on other podcasts, but it's, like, kind of weird to take pride in leaving people out hanging out to dry, you know? Yeah, but at the same time, you know, it's it's – Again, we're talking about the formula, Iceman, Hangman, the same exact character arc happened that at the beginning of the movie, he was the antagonist, he thinks he's better than the other guy, even to the point where, uh, you know, uh, 
there, there's a, a joke that Maverick makes when he ends up, um, you know, starting to work again for Top Gun that he says that he was number two, right? Because he was competing the entire time with Iceman, right? Same exact way the Rooster's going to be, be competing with Hangman. I mean, obviously there's parallels there. And Rooster, even though as, as much as Miles Teller looks like Anthony Edwards, which, oh my God, by the way, the casting, mm. um, I, I mean, that, that was just crazy to me. Well, Glenn Powell um, originally went out for that role too, and they liked him so I much know. that we want you in the movie. I'm very happy that they ended up switching out the character. I, I was reading the trivia and they said they apparently like built out this character for him. I'm like, what do you mean? You didn't already have the character written in that there was going to be a parallel between Iceman? I mean, like the, these things have to happen, right? Like they, they there's just certain archetypal things in this movie that needed to, you know, be repeated, even to the point where, again, I'm sure that this was obvious for many people, but this excited me. When the movie started, it starts the exact same way as the first movie. It's the same exact thing that they wrote in the front. Apparently, there's a typo in the first movie. Um, mm -hmm. So they fixed that, which is great. And then you got the mu the music playing in. It's exactly the same thing. I mean, so something like this, like the, the parallels make sense, right? And you want it to happen because like you get that nostalgia factor, which which enhances the movie for you. You know, it's like... I don't know. It's like going yeah, both, 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 both the opening and the actually take that back. I guess they, they, they have another scene after the closing one on the carrier, but the closing one on the carrier really resembles, you know, where, where, where they kind of go in the first one where like, you know, the, you can be my wingman anytime type of thing, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. Um, you know, yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's very, very, very uh, symmetrical and nice how they, you know, it, it still does its own thing in certain ways, but also is able to, you know, have, have appropriate callbacks. Uh, we haven't talked really at all about uh, Jennifer Connelly. Uh, you know, people, I, I, because, because you haven't been as uh, steeped in the, uh, all the different memes and lore of the original Top Gun, I, I, it might, you might not be aware of this, but like a lot of people like to make fun of the uh, Kelly McGillis, Tom Cruise romance in the first one, and they don't think they have a lot of chemistry. I don't necessarily strongly disagree. They think that sex scene is incredibly goofy and not actually all it's that romantic. So goofy. I was cracking and, up the entire time. Right. So, I mean, you know, who knows if they were going for the unintentional comedy. That's where it ended up. Tom Cruise, to also, in addition to not really, like, trying to do a lot of acting and more just doing action stuff the last 20 years, hasn't really been a romantic lead for the for the better part of the last 20 years. It's just not really something he does in movies. It's, you can't really think of too many times where he really has to, like, show that kind of affection towards anyone um in a romantic way so you know I've, I've i've heard different thing i've heard people go back i've heard both sides of this and i'm wondering did you like what did you think of that relationship he has with penny who is the admiral's daughter that is referenced in the first movie i don't even know if i caught that or not on the first viewing or if you did too i think they I referred it. it yeah i i i i consume so much content about this movie in the two days after seeing it i had a backlog of podcasts and articles i wanted to read that so i don't think i caught it in the moment but like maybe i'd seen it before i don't know uh, it's all kind of a blur, but like, you know, there's supposed to be a bit of a, like an, a bit of a nostalgia factor there. It's kind of a callback and a lot, they have a lot of history that's implied from the moment he shows up in her bar. Um, at the same time, you know, I'm wondering if it was worth it. You know, I feel like there's a lot of other things this movie could have spent time on besides that romance. So I want to know, did it work for you to justify the amount of time it took up in this movie? So yes, and I'll tell you why it worked for me. Because first of all, let's talk about the fact that the way that um, that we see Penny and that Penny gets introduced to us is in a very similar way that Charlie gets introduced to us in the first movie in the bar where everyone's going together. They're all singing, they're all playing pool, they're all drinking and stuff, and they're they're kind of mocking the person at the bar that's wearing the jacket. It's very obviously, you know, something that's uh, 
you know, part, part of the Navy um, or some other military entity, right? And for some reason, you know, this is the person that they're, uh, that they're you know, bothering, right? And it happens to be the teacher in the next sequence. I mean, it's like, you know, identical sequences. Um, I didn't catch that she was the Admiral's daughter the first time around. Um, but I'll be honest with you, um, having his grief and having his basically PTSD and his, um, you know, emotional, um, you know, agency stunted by his friend's death in the first movie, causing him not to have the ability to want to commit to anybody because he's afraid to lose them. I love the arc. I, I love what they did with it. Again, I'm maybe I'm really looking into this movie, but I feel like there's a lot of backstory that they told with very, very few words. Um, and that backstory is really compelling. Like what happened in the many years between the two movies? And they tell you that. They they tell you everything that you need to know about what happened to your favorite characters over the many years that they weren't on screen, right? So so for that reason, I love the fact that, you know, they they still bring that um that uh that female romantic lead for him. You like you said he hasn't done it in many years, but he's very well known for doing it in this movie. Yeah, well, so I like kind of what it shows about his character and that, like, you know, you kind of gather everything he's been through and the fact that he, like, does kind of go back to her at the end when it's clear that he's had he's had a lot of issues that have kind of, like, you know, allowed them to drift apart on multiple occasions over the years. You kind of see how her daughter treats him and how she responds to him. Like, you, I, I, I kind of buy that with whatever backstory of his were led to infer that, like, he would have gotten to this point where he would have just been like, you know, yeah, this, this would be what makes me happy and I'm not going to mess it up this time. So I liked it from that standpoint and that like, I think it showed his growth in a way, but I also think like you can kind of see his growth and how he treats rooster throughout the movie already anyway. And it's clear he's obviously matured as a person that he's making some of the decisions with respect to him. He's made the fact that he hasn't told rooster that like, it was actually his mom that made him, made that promise on her deathbed just because like that could be an easy way to kind of unburden himself and like salvage the relationship he doesn't do that uh just even sacrificing himself in the first place like you know i feel like there's plenty of growth for him there and part of me this was like look i get it i don't necessarily know if i still i i kind of get what this romance does for his character but it like there's not that much chemistry for me there that i was getting a ton out of watching it necessarily beyond appreciating the choices he was making so part of me was like I could have, I could have spent more. This is a two hour and fifteen minute movie. I don't. I wouldn't really say, tell any movie it needs to be. Uh, yeah, let's let's not let's not kid ourselves. I'd watch I'd watch three and a half hours of this movie, but like movies try not to have runtimes that long if they can avoid it. So I would have maybe preferred just more time with the other pilots. You know, uh, I liked a lot of these characters, and we've already kind of touched on the fact that yeah, they could easily make more of these movies, and we could see all these people again. But like, I got a real kick out of like, uh, I got I got a real kick out of Bob. You know, I wanted to see, I wanted to see Jason Mendoza, Top Gun pilot. I didn't get that. You know, I like Jay Ellis on Insecure. He, he plays, uh, he plays Payback. He really only has like seven lines. It's like, there's so much more time. It felt like I was spending with Jennifer Connelly when the it's like, I wasn't that. Falcon, the future Falcons playing fanboy. The future what? The future Falcon from Falcon, you know, Falcon Winter Soldier. He was the guy oh. who's playing the guy who's going to be Falcon. He was fanboy, ironically. No, I, I think that 
because of who they cast, they are going to be bringing them back at some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Maybe as like an elite unit or something like that. Um, but but you're right. I mean, they cast Bill Pullman's son as Bob. You know, there's no way that they're not going to be bringing them back in some other capacity. Um, or maybe this movie was just so big that you can actually pick actors who are, you know, decent actors in these small roles. Or maybe they just had more plot line that they wrote in other, you know, other variations of what they were putting together and they cut them. Simple mm -hmm. as that. Yeah, I mean, just, uh, I heard someone else, I, one of the other podcasts I listened to talked about the fact that like, they they filmed this thing in like 2019 who knows when the final cut was but like you know uh manny jacinto probably has friends that were like very excited for him that he was in top gun and at some point like he either had to like hold the secret in that like he was totally out of the movie because they might have told him or he might have just been like uh or, or or he like at least to the general public like no one knew for like two years that he was just not going to be in it i felt very bad for him like it, he's so great on the good place but it's like yeah this guy's probably capable of more it would have been cool to see him do this and sure like maybe they will make more movies but like they're going to take their damn time they're, they're going to take their time doing it so i don't know i just think that like I, I i feel like there was room in this movie to like develop them even more i've heard some people wanted a little more from rooster too and that like you know in a way he's kind of like the uh he, he's he's not the maverick of this movie because maverick's here but he's kind of like the other protagonist and and probably doesn't he's barely he barely says anything the first half of the movie i think his specter looms large what the same exact thing happened in top gun with goose though that doesn't i mean like i understand what you're saying like well goose goose is around the whole time i mean goose is around the whole time though in the first I mean, he's like you don't really see him talk to maverick for the first half we hear about what their deal is you, not as much as asked of miles teller is what i'm saying i i, I also I, mean, I feel but... i felt i felt fulfilled by his act arc don't get me wrong but i've seen other people say like i could have even spent more time with him which i don't disagree with it's just, you'll probably get him in the sequel that they inevitably the three cool that they make of this one yeah i, I guess i'm again i will see whatever they do but i also see everything you know so it's like I don't know what that means that I would watch it. I'm almost like, man, I think what makes it so special is that like, you know, they really took their sweet time with this. It's like, if, if there's a sequel in two years, I'm going to have like, come, I'm going to have trouble be believing it's going to be as good as this, you know? Um, it's not going to be as good as yeah. this. Realistically speaking, I feel like they've peaked with this movie and making another one is going to be a terrible decision, but I guarantee <laughs> the success of this movie is going to preempt another movie being made. Well, right. So you're already acknowledging that the next one might be terrible. So it's like, maybe we should have given these people more to do in this one is what I'm saying. You know? Yeah. I'm going to say yes, but also no, I really would not change as good as these actors are. And like, there's some of them who I just, I really enjoy it. I've seen them as character actors in other you know shows that I like. Um, I'll be honest with you. I would not have them change a single thing that they did about this movie. Not a wow. single thing. There is not I really love this, huh? I really like this movie. I think that this is a this is one of those movies that it's just so well made and it's ironclad that I just wouldn't make any changes. But you know what? Um, I would say that I'm I'm a little bit upset that I didn't get more Ed Harris. Um, but other than that, <laughs> yeah, he 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 got he got he got his scene to be curmudgeonly. Um, uh, speaking about it just being well made in general, were there any specific visual or technical flourishes that you really appreciated? Because it seemed like you were able to pick up on some differences in what they were able to do in filming these planes compared to what they could do 36 years ago? Oh, yeah. I, I think that um, it's 
absolutely fascinating the way that they filmed the sequences. And again, I agree with you. I know that they said, I think if I remember correctly, Tom Cruise said that the only way that he will make this movie is if they do as little CGI as possible and they film these actual sequences in the plane. I know that they did that the first time around, but just the, the sheer um, speed and the, the sheer, um, I'm gonna say the technicality of the, the aerial moves that they did. Um, apparently, you know, three of the six actors a day threw up in, in the, the planes. If that isn't telling you that, you know, Tom Cruise is like, hey, I know how to fly planes. I like flying planes crazy. These actors, they gotta, you know, really cut their teeth in, in you know, these death-defying activities in order to that's really... The, that's the other thing I feel bad for Manny Jacinto about. He, he apparently put them through the ringer and, like, you know, you need they to be able to do all this... Training camp. They did do all this like, training sim camp. simulated training camp stuff and you gotta really be able to, like, just do all this without vomiting and Manny Jacinto presumably did all of that and didn't get to be in the movie aside from, like, they, quick... They had quick training to be, a, like, a Top Gun level ready for, for not, I mean, obviously not pilot, but, like, ready for, like, the impact of that. Honestly speaking, people pay for that experience. They got paid to do that and they're in a movie about it. Don't get me wrong. I agree with you. I wish that I saw more of these characters, but I guarantee that they had a, a you know, a, a memorable time making this movie. Was it going to be the best time? It's not like camp, you know? I mean, Tom Cruise, I, I hear, is a very, very difficult producer. Um, and he was apparently very hard on everybody there. But, like, you're going to be in the biggest movie of the year. You have a starring credit for that. That's something that will take these people for the rest of their career. And again, I'm pointing out that they only cast actors who actually have had starring roles in recent years. Even though, even though they're side characters, they still cast very strong actors for those bitty bitty roles. I think there's a reason for it because they're going to try and prolong the sequels. But I think if they didn't, it still doesn't change the fact that it just adds to how good this movie was. Mm. That, it just, to me, it just fuels the fire. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> <laughs> I really like this movie and I know it's going to win Oscars. I think the one Oscar it's not going to win is for song. That, that to me, I think it's going to win for cinematography, guaranteed cinematography, sound everything. Um, well, there's only one sound category now, but I mean, they used to have sound editing. Oh, they, and sound they, they now it's just sound editing design. and yeah. mixing. Yeah, yeah, they mix. They, yeah, they, which was stupid actually. As soon as I really learned the difference, they they they, they merged them. Um, but yeah, it, it 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 should it it should definitely win sound. Um, and uh, I don't know. Like, I mean. So yeah, I mean, speaking of the cinematography, like I, again, like it's not often that like the, the straight action movies win. I think did. Hmm, let me look back at that. I'm 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 trying to remember when the last say Avatar one. Yeah, I don't. I, but like that's just so different with the. I'm trying to see if Skyfall even got nominated because I feel like Skyfall. No, Skyfall didn't get one two. It got nominated for. Uh, yeah, so Skyfall. Oh, because that was Roger Deakins. Skyfall did get nominated for cinematography, didn't win. So yeah, they could. Yeah, so you could have you could have like sound. You could have uh, also just general editing. Um, like Ford versus Ferrari won for that. You know, so yeah. same idea. Big things go roar. Um, you know, I, so I'd be. <laughs> I'd, I'd be, I'd be like, I'd be, I'd be fine for that. Like, I, I, I just want to get your expectations in check. I, I want to set you up for disappointment. Expect the worst. Hope for the best on that. It's gonna get a lot of tech nominations. Who knows what else? I would not be I mad know. for best picture nominee. They, 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 you know, last year they went back to straight ten on the nominees. 
you know, you never know. It's 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 the best. It's probably the best received movie of the year so far. If you wanted to know how right I usually am when it comes to the Oscars, I'm still mad to this day that Mad Max Fury Road did not win Best Picture. I'm still mad, but I called every other award that it was going to win. Mm, yeah, I. My, my personal number one of 2015 was was Spotlight, but like I even I can admit that like Mad Max Fury Road has stood the test of time as well as anything from that year. That movie um, is perfect, also. But the thing is, like, you it proves that action movies don't have to be, you know, a boys' club. Honestly, I think that you know these sorts of movies they're allowed to have depth and technicality because, again, we're going back to very topical conversations that we're having in you know the 2020s, which is that you know, toxic masculinity is a thing and it's okay to feel sad and, you know, allowing people to embrace how they really feel and to, um, you know, help support them through whatever they're going through is really important, you know, regardless of, of who they are. And I think that the vulnerability that they showed that, you know, Maverick showed was something that for somebody like Tom Cruise, who is like quintessential action hero, again, crazy to me, but you know, he does his job very well. Um, it, it, that he was just so vulnerable and open in this movie. I mean, like there was there was a lot that was thrown on the screen there. Like maybe he is projecting, I have no idea. I don't know the guy, but I think that what they did end up having on the screen and you know, the the just the fact that they're like, you know what, if I'm stressed, I'm just gonna get in a plane and I'm just gonna, fly around for a while I have, you read, it. have you have you read anything about the extent to which he flies any of these planes tom cruise himself i know he probably he, has he's a, pilot a very accomplished pilot they would not let him fly the f-18s because they did borrow military aircraft for this movie they mm -hmm. would not let him fly it by contract but he does know how to fly many of these planes yeah, we should we should note that the um they like the navy is actually pretty involved in these movies. Uh, I think they underwrote a lot of the first one. I think Paramount probably did most of that on the second one, but they had to like you know pay the navy to be able to like use some of this stuff. And Correct, and and you know a lot of people are going to say that you know it has a lot of you know heavy government influence on there, and I will tell you that I felt a little bit more patriotic after leaving this movie. <laughs> not gonna lie to you, but at the same time they they allege that there was just no changes that they made to the script of the movie that all they try and do is make sure a there's no country secrets that are being revealed b it's at least partially truthful if not as close to the truth as possible and see that there's nobody defaming um you know the the u.s military navy or army and i think that um it's a rightful expectation that if you're going to be you know using government resources that they're going to want to make sure that you're not uh talking shit about them yeah, I think enough people are aware of the fact that it's it's uh, on some level Navy propaganda such that it ceases to be effective in that way. You know, like I feel like everyone just kind of acknowledges that and is like, hey, we're here for a good time. Who they, give us that. they were fighting? Did they name a name in any of the movies? I didn't hear one. They weren't fighting yeah. anybody. No, I've, I've read a couple of funny articles trying to speculate on who it was. My personal guess is Russia, given the terrain and that it's near an ocean. They and said Iran because that's the only country that had uh, the F-14s that were commissioned when the U.S. and Iran had, um, you know, a good relations. And also, we know. Also, we know Russia has nukes. Like, you know, right? Who, who would be who, who would we be more worried about getting plutonium when we know Russia has it? It's Iran. 
The reason why they're saying it is because of the F-14, though. That is the the plot twist and the thing that reveals who they think, obviously. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's meant it's meant to be vague, you know? It's not meant to be anybody. It's just the big bad, right? It's the enemy, which I love movies like that, that you don't call anybody out in particular, right? There's enough craziness going on that you don't need somebody to, you know, some some guy in a, you know, big, uh, you know, mansion somewhere in some faraway country to be pissed at you for talking shit about their country, right? Well, movies can just be movies. So I think in this sense, the fact that there wasn't an enemy named, like, that's fantastic. I, I Good. It makes us just watch the movie, you know, without having to feel one way or another about anybody in particular. You feel about the characters, not what they represent, not who they represent. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I would be kind of a hypocrite if I came on here and said I needed them to, like, really, you know, name who the bad guys were. Because, again, I like the simplicity of this movie. I think it's, like, my favorite part of it. Uh, too many action movies get bogged down in having overly complicated plot, and this one is really smart in the way it goes about not doing that. So yeah, I don't really, I, I don't really care about that though. It's fun to joke about and speculate about for sure. I mean, let's um, be realistic. Like when it comes to Star Wars, which essentially a lot of people are making allegories to Star Wars Episode Four, which I completely understand because you know how often do you have to shoot a you know uh, an enemy's territory and you know the the size of the shoot in order to shoot it is, uh, you know, the size of a pea and you got to be so precise. I mean, come on, it's Star Wars episode four. Um, but at the same time, you know, they don't say in Star Wars, yeah, the Galactic Empire is based off of this country. Like, I mean, nothing like that happens, right? It's just the bad guys, the good guys. Um, there's exactly as you said, simplicity is sometimes, you know, the best way to, to frame something. Yeah. Maya, is there anything else about this movie you haven't talked about that you wanted to touch on before you wrap up? Um, I loved it. No. I, I could just talk the music. The music was fantastic. It, 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 well, one thing people noted was they didn't have a ton of music in the last sequence. They were actually went fairly, like, they let, they let the regular sound effects kind of take over for that, which I, I don't know if I was fully aware of in the moment, but honestly, probably a smart choice. I was pretty engaged. Uh, for that part of it, I, I what was the other thing I was going to note? I did want to note one thing, actually, also. Yeah. Um, can can somebody tell me if uh, people who are flying in the Navy in, uh, you know, military and Navy grade aircrafts are allowed to wear glasses? Bob, I'm looking at you. Um, I didn't realize that he was allowed to wear glasses. I figure that it's actually a lot uh, riskier for pilots to have. Yeah, you know, shit could crack, right? It's just to me, it makes no sense to me. That's the one thing about I, I think that's the most infuriating sports, part of Prescription the sports goggles would be smarter, right? Like, are they are they fashion glasses, Bob? Why are you wearing glasses in this movie? I didn't honestly. I literally thought that in order to be like a pilot, like for like an accomplished thing, you had to have perfect vision. Maybe that's just I want to say astronauts, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Did you have any other thoughts on the on the on the dogfight football, whether funny or not? I mean, like obviously, it's just trying to recreate the volleyball scene, which you might have even known that before you saw Top Gun. It's just like kind of an iconic scene. Did it? I didn't like know it was iconic, but I knew that it existed. Yeah, it's iconic in its own way, but like, do you think it was too transparent of an attempt to like, you know, mimic that, or is like they had to do it, they did it in like it, it, its own way without doing the exact same thing? I had a lot of fun staring at these dudes. It, I mean, if, if the entire time, but also same, same here, but the entire time, um, you know, 
like watching this movie is like there's an iconic moment from the first movie that they needed to recreate. I mean, that's essentially how they made Maverick is like the entire movie is iconic. Let's just recreate it. Like I said before, this is no exception. I love that it was football. I love that in particular, that that was the thing that ended up like the, the shirtless oiled up like guys that are just like getting at each other and like this, you know, I mean, homoerotic montage, which was fantastic. Um, but it's the thing that made them a team to begin with. You know, that's that's exactly what they needed. I mean, allegorically perfect. 10 out of 10. Yeah, I mean, uh I, I kind of knew it was coming again. I'm the one that I'm the degenerate that's on social media all the time. There's a particular moment in that sequence where Miles Teller kind of flexes in celebration. That has just been the, like every, every, yeah, everywhere on TikTok. Uh, sorry, I knew that was coming. I with, with Dustin, uh, actually. Okay. Uh, yeah. Wow. Just really making your fiance feel inadequate, huh? Um, He's sharing it with me too. It's hilarious. Oh, okay. Good, 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 good. Just want to make sure you weren't rubbing it in his face. Um, no. You know, uh, so I, I mean, I was like, all right, cool. Like I get it. Like they, they gave the people what they wanted and the fact that they could give the people what they wanted, even if that's like super pandery, I feel like they did so many other things in this movie that were unique to this movie. Uh, you know, w whether it be the Val Kilmer scene and that kind of generating that kind of emotion or the, or all the technical stuff or, you know, uh, just in general, like not overdoing it in the callbacks in a way that just made the whole thing like that would have made the whole thing just feel not made, made the whole thing feel like you know cheaper but i think everyone just kind of understands like no they, they really went for it here and they did it in a really impressive way yeah um, um yeah I, I i really think that's about it I, I i think i hit all hit all my notes i wanted to hit just like again like you know i'm gonna put the disclaimer on here spoilers throughout because again everyone has seen this movie so i don't really feel the need to make a recommendation like i otherwise would we've talked about whether or not we'd want to see more of these but i mean i think we're both in agreement that this was really great i think maya's even like somehow more positive than me on it she would not literally change a thing about this movie um, except for the glasses if it's a problem. Except for Bob's glasses. I would have let Bob Unless talk it's not more. a problem, in which case it's fine. I would have let Bob talk more. Maya doesn't care what Bob has to say. She just wants to criticize his fashion choices. Um, I, I'm a very, very big fan of his father. Spaceballs happens to be one of my top five favorite movies. So the fact that his father is Lone Star just makes my life great. Hmm. Gotcha. All right, Maya, this is normally the part of the podcast where we have people talk about other things they've been watching recently. I have been so busy. I don't even know if I have anything new to recommend. Is there anything you want to shout out to the listeners that you've been watching other than uh, Top Gun Maverick and Top Gun? Finished Hacks about five minutes before I started the <laughs> podcast, and season two is absolutely fantastic. Um, there's a lot of great TV right now. Um, did I mention Pachinko the last time I was on this podcast? You might have. My friend Fred has also recommended it. Uh, it's that, that there's just so much stuff I've, I've like need to catch up on. So I need to watch Pachinko. I, I I've not watched. We talked about Star Wars. I haven't watched any of Obi Wan. I still haven't watched Moon Knight. So I, I need to get back on my Disney Plus grind. I need get to get back, back on your my Disney Apple, Plus grind. My, my Apple TV Plus grind. Like I'm I am I'm severely like lacking on all that stuff. I think you might have mentioned Pachinko, but again, someone else has too. But I, you might have mentioned that on the last one, and I might have we might have had the same conversation where I said I need to watch it, and I still haven't watched it, and it's already Maybe. been like two two or three weeks since we talked about. Multiverse of Madness. We're we're both busy people, so I feel yeah. like we're not going to be remembering these nuances. So sorry, listeners, if you know you've heard us talk about this before. We're uh, we're tired all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. All right. Yeah. Hacks is great. I feel like I might have actually rec recommended Hacks like after I watched the first. You did recommend Hacks to me. Well, no, I, maybe originally I did. I don't know. But like, I feel like I might have already recommended on the podcast just after watching the first two episodes of the new season. If I didn't, I'm like six episodes through. There's eight episodes. Maya's watched the whole thing. It is great. So definitely watch Hack Season 2 and, uh, let, you know, push them to make a third season. Um, definitely. <laughs> 
that's that's about all I got for now. I think coming up in the next couple of weeks, just keep an eye out for um, at this point, at the time people are listening to this, I might've posted like one or two podcasts on Toy Story, uh, both Toy Story and Toy Story 2. I've done episodes, I've recorded three different Toy Story episodes as of the recording of the Top Gun Maverick podcast with our friend Joe in advance of Lightyear coming out. So I'm gonna be putting all those out. I'm thinking I'm gonna talk about the Adam Sandler Netflix uh, basketball movie Hustle with my friend Nick, who is also from Philadelphia where that movie is set and is also a basketball fan and a regular presence on this podcast. So uh, plenty of others, plenty of that stuff to stay tuned for. And I'm sure other stuff I'm just not thinking of right at this moment, but yeah, we'll keep coming at you every week, maybe twice a week so we can get all this Toy Story stuff out. So uh, Maya is, uh, Maya's a blank canvas. She doesn't, as she's already said multiple times, she has no social media. So uh, she doesn't have anything to plug in that regard. I'll say as usual, you can find me on Letterboxd at Josh Jernavoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. Same thing on Twitter. Podcast Twitter is at Rewind Movie Pod. Podcast email is rewindmoviepod at gmail.com. Uh, you can reach out to us there. Again, thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks again to Maya for joining me. Maya, you can be my wingman anytime. And uh, we will see you next time.